In many ways, retirement after a federal career is all about the numbers. Do you have enough saved that, together with your annuity, you won't run out of money? In some ways, though, retirement is not about the numbers at all. There's also the danger of, well, being bored to death. Here with some non-monetary retirement advice, federal retiree and AG Financial Services owner Abe Grungold. Abe, good to have you back. Tom, thank you for having me on. Yes, retirement is more than about just the numbers. You need to figure out what's important to you your first day of retirement. You have to plan for it, and you need to be flexible. That's the key, to be flexible. Well, let's talk about what's important to you, because for most people, you know, their family life, whatever form that is in, is maybe the most important thing. Sometimes it might be the second after their career and their work. But both of those things are what give people identity. And so you're losing 50% of what gave you your identity, which is your work and the associations there too. Tom, it's perfect that you mentioned this. A friend of mine this week, who is also a client, he says to me, Abe, I'm retiring December 31st, but I'm going to lose my identity you know, as a federal employee. And he has a pretty big position with the government. And I told him, I said, no, you're not losing your identity. You're going to create a new one. And you certainly can do a lot of things in retirement. A lot of people work full time doing something else and whatever makes them happy, whether it's opening up an antique store, working at Home Depot, I have a friend of mine who is going to be a farmer. He's going to be a farmer full-time. So you still can work full-time or part-time, and you just need to figure out if that is important to you. And some people don't work at all. You know, that idea of being a farmer reminds me of a line that the cowardly lion said in Wizard of Oz, the original version. The only question is, Can somebody talk me out of this? But I guess he's going to go ahead. Does he have a tractor? He has it all. I've spoken to him about it. He has tractor. He has animals. He's been doing this part-time for 10 years. And this is what he wants to do in retirement. He's still young. And this is what he wants to do full-time. And even for me, I was planning my retirement And I was fearful of going from working full-time to doing nothing. So I started my own business four years prior to retirement. I wanted to make sure that I was going to be doing something in retirement. Yes. And so the question is, yeah, work, but you can also occupy your time not working. But yet I think people find that if they are unoccupied by work, it has to be more than trivial stuff. I mean, how many times can you get up and read the grape nuts box and then go, you know, whatever, walk to the corner or something? I mean, at some point, it has to be meaningful, even if it's not remunerative monetarily, those activities. Yes, it's perfect that you say that. It reminds me of the movie Groundhog Day, when you get up every day in that movie and every day is the same. So certainly you don't want that. So what I did was I moved to a retirement community. And where I live now is just filled with various activities from sports to uh, social to other things like doing charity work. And I found that 
a retirement community, at least for me, was a perfect environment rather than being in my other home where I didn't have many activities to do on a day-to-day in retirement. Except pick out the Yadro statues and try to find ways to get rid of those because nobody wants them. <laughs> They're not worth two cents. <laughs> the, it, old, it, <laughs> the boomers will it, know what I'm talking about here. It is true. We downsized on many of our collectibles or tchotchkes, as we called them. And we found that they're just not important because our kids and our family just don't want them. Yep. Yeah, we went through that as well. And I guess Uh, maybe the important thing in moving to a retirement community is making sure that your lot is not too close to the pickleball courts. The noise could drive you crazy in about 20 minutes. It's funny. Where I live, I think we have 15 pickleball courts. Everyone has their own individual home. And many of the people ride their golf cart to the pickleball court. And many of them are playing twice a day. Now, I ran into a guy the other day who I bowl with. I'm on the bowling club. And he says, I'm not playing pickleball because pickleball has the most injuries of any type of thing for seniors. And he says, I live alone. If I get injured, who's going to drive me to the supermarket? So he refuses to play pickleball. So you really have to think about all these variables that go on with every activity. Yeah, you don't want to become a cop, which is a casualty of pickleball, I guess, (laughs) in retirement. But there's also the idea, by the way, my guest is Abe Grungold. He's a retired federal manager himself, now owner of AG Financial Services. The idea of meaningful activities that have transcendence beyond, you know, just amusing yourself, whether it's pickleball or whatever the case might be. But there are a lot of learnings and experiences you might have gained as a long-term federal employee that volunteer organizations, charities, and so on could really avail themselves of. And you would find that your activities would have both identity and meaning. Yes, I have a friend who wants to volunteer mentoring kids, you know, life learning skills. I have another friend who's volunteering with the city and county food bank. So, yes, volunteering is a very important thing because you're giving back. You make yourself feel good when you're doing these wonderful deeds, and you are also keeping yourself active and mentally active. Now, I do a financial literacy course free for college students, and I've done that where my daughter goes to college. So I do that as a way of giving back and helping the younger generation. So volunteering is a very important thing. And I want to return to the question of when you begin your retirement planning. In some ways, you begin it on your first day of work by signing up for TSP and maxing out your contributions because that's the foundation of everything is having enough money. But then in the closer to the ground planning, when you actually are at that age when you can see the end of your career, you don't wait till two weeks before. No, no. You should be planning your retirement activities three to five years beforehand. Because you could have one idea and then you realize you don't want to do that one and then you should think about another one. So you should have a couple ideas if you're going to work full-time or part-time, whether you're going to volunteer, whether you're going to play pickleball or golf or travel. Try to plan and have a flexible plan 
in the event that something doesn't work out for you, that you can have a contingent plan to fall back on something else. So, yeah, I mean, I started out bowling this summer, and I decided I'm not going to bowl. I'm going to play golf in the wintertime. So you have to do what you feel is important. I guess you can go bowling with a golf ball, but you can't go golfing with a bowling ball. I did the bowling thing in the summer only because it is so hot in Florida. I needed to find an activity. I found that golfing nine holes was just too strenuous in the heat. So you need to have a flexible plan. You can't do the same thing every day. After a while, it's going to become monotonous. Abe Grungold is a retired federal manager and having a good time at it. He's owner of AG Financial Services. And what's your handicap in bowling, by the way? Is there such a thing as a handicap in bowling? Well, you know, I am not that good of a bowler now that I'm a senior citizen. I was a pretty decent bowler years ago, but we still took third place, Tom. We took third place, even with my bad bowling. So we were just having fun. That's the important thing is having fun. A lot of people feel sports is competition, but I just enjoy doing it, keeping busy, having fun. Well, if you really want a challenge, switch to candle pins and see how many of those you can knock yeah. over. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. 
it's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. Them. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, th- Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came 
do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed, uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things, and that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief in my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.